This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Uh, it, it probably hasn't necessarily been a while because I have a feeling that Dr. Ruth and Blood Moon will be dropped in close proximity to one another. Yeah. But it's been a while for us because there's been a myriad of technical difficulties there's, on Dr. Ruth. There's been, uh, there's been technical difficulties. There's been life. So we recorded the uh, Dr. Ruth back on... Oh, gosh. Uh, August the 9th, I believe. Um, and then aside from the technical difficulties, which I'll let you get into here in a little bit, we also had a tornado in Chicago yeah. on uh, that following Monday. And you and me, we only live about a 10-minute drive apart from each other. But you lost power for three days, right? Yeah. Yeah. We we did not lose power that day at all. We lost like we lost it for like ten minutes at midnight two days later, probably so when they weird. were fixing the power, right, right, or making an attempt to fix the power. Uh, but also in that time, our oldest child Harrison he got very sick, thought it was COVID because twenty twenty turned out to be salmonella. Oh man. Um, so he was out. He was down and out for about a week. You went out to stay with your to stay at your grand uh, Jessica's grandparents' house. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. While while your power was out for all that time. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy crazy week uh, to say the least. And that's not even actually counting the first time that we recorded Doctor Ruth. Because we oh, had recorded right. it once before. Yes. Um, it's been it's basically been about three weeks since the first time we recorded Doctor Ruth, and we were we were doing pretty good. Like we were kind of chugging along there for a little bit, you know, knocking a couple episodes out, and then all of a sudden uh, this happens, and one of the audio files was just unusable, unfortunately. So we knew we would have to re-record, which was great because it gave us the opportunity to get Karen Saxon, former guest. Uh, back on um, to, to chat with us about that episode, which was great. And then that audio file, uh, while not unsalvageable by any means, just gave me all sorts of headaches. So it's just been a process, to say the least. Um, but but luckily, you know, we're back. We're back on track. Uh, Harrison's well. The power's back on. Uh, there's no tornadoes in sight. Knock on wood. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it's it, it was it was a minor diversion, if you will. Sure, I, I totally forgot about the first recording. It was my yeah. file. I can't remember what, what what was wrong with my file. You that, that like this? <laughs> oh, oh, because um, I was finishing up coding boot camp and working on my final project, and so my laptop was loaded down with a lot of extra files, and it was something that I didn't realize until after we burned the file and I sent it to you. Yes, that everything was very choppy. Yeah. That was... Yeah. Yeah. 
I um, thought I was going to be like I thought I would be able to work some sort of magic, but it was just it was it was not possible. And uh, it, yeah, it, it's so strange because in all the times that we have, have done this, you know, we've had a couple of errors along the way, sure. uh, including the time I forgot to press record. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, you know, I mean, we've 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 been pretty free of a lot of issues. So I just was like, you know what, we're coming we're coming near the end. Of, of the show, so it's only natural we probably have, you know, the B-Man step in at least once yeah. and, and, and throw oh, us gotta, through the loop. we got to get this wrapped up before Halloween, before the B-Man can step oh. in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just and just wreak havoc. Uh, anyway, on a personal note, also in the last week, I got a vasectomy. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling okay. Uh, yeah. Really sore for the first couple days. Uh, yeah. Right now, just a little soreness, like directly, like right around, like the the incision. Uh, yeah. Nothing graphic, not to paint a picture or anything. But uh, right. but but that's about it. The thing is, Harrison was sick for over a week, and by the time he got better, I really just had like one day to really think about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, like my doctor, very cool, was very laid back about the whole procedure, um, and, and so. Yeah, it all worked out. It was great. Yeah. It was awesome. Slowly recovering right now. And, uh, yeah, just living yeah. life in the time of COVID. I, no. You know, I almost wish that we would have been recording Dr. Ruth now because we could have had, like, a discussion about, like, healthy sexuality and choices about, you know, birth control, all sorts of... We could have really just spun that out. But I feel like in, in the case of Blood Moon, there's really nowhere to go. There's no... You know, the thing is, there's a lot, there's a lot of discussion about sex in Blood Moon. They just kind of... That's true. They, they just kind of... They just kind of talk around it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will say, uh, on that regard, uh, I did the... What probably would have been an in-person visit before this year, but it was just a telehealth visit, like my consultation with the doctor. I was surprised how hard he tried to talk me out of it. Oh, wow. And I'm sure he was doing his job, but, I mean, mean, he threw it all, you know, it's it's maybe irreversible, but likely not. Um, I haven't looked this up yet to see if he was just, like, feeding me a line of bull, but he was telling me, if you want to get it reversed, that is a totally out-of-pocket expense that insurance will not cover. Wow. How much do you think undoing a vasectomy would cost? I don't know, a couple grand? Fifty to seventy thousand dollars. No, wow. That's what wow. he told me. I haven't looked it up. He may be feeding me a line of bull. But he even went down the thing of like, God forbid, if something happens to your wife or you get divorced and you meet another beautiful young lady, blah, 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 blah. Wow. He <laughs> laid it on. Uh, That's so strange. So, yeah. Uh, but then the procedure itself, like his, his assistant, I don't know if it was another doctor or, or resident or nurse practitioner or whatever his role was. He got me set up. The doctor came in. It was like a 15-minute procedure. Snip, snip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, yeah. he put in the local anesthetic and I didn't even realize he had gotten started until I smelled burning. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. I, well, I have a friend and I didn't want to mention this to you beforehand, but it was the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, I have a friend and he told me that it was incredibly painful. Like the first day or two was just like some of the most excruciating pain he'd ever been in. And so I don't know if, if that was just his or if it was just, 
he has a low tolerance for pain or what the case was. But I'll, I, you know, my, my initial reaction has been like, oh, yeah, I've heard it can be painful. And I was like, well, don't say that, dumbass. No. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, the procedure itself, like a few, you know, pinches, burns, you know, whatever. Um, and then just like two days, and I, and I texted this to you. We were texting back and forth. It, it, yeah. it just felt like, you know, uh, I, I kind of think of the line that, that Sam lays on uh, Buddy Wright at the end of What Price Glory, like what it feels like to get kicked in the crotch, how the pain just keeps growing and growing, and that sudden, and that, you know, that sensation when it finally subsides. Like, you know when you get kicked in the nuts, and it really hurts at first, but then it, you just stay at this low-grade pain for a few minutes? Yeah. It just, like, for two days, it was just at that low-grade pain. Any sudden movement, if Harrison, you know, be playing rough, you know, brushed right. up against my crotch in the wrong way... Other than that, it's fine, and nothing compared to the pain of childbirth. Right. Not not near as invasive as someone getting their tubes tied. So, um, you know, Betsy kept showing me sympathy, and I'm like, I, I watched you give birth twice. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 Yeah. It, yeah. I, I mean, I can only I can only imagine. I mean, obviously, it's not a it's not a choice. It's not a bridge that we have crossed yet in this household. But uh, you know, I. I um, yeah, I can't imagine that there's really any any comparison for, uh, like you're saying, for childbirth or you know what I mean through through what the not only you know not only physically but just emotionally and, and mentally as well. I feel like uh, a vasectomy, uh, especially when it's done with thought and your choice, etc., that it's 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 not going to be nearly as physically taxing. It's certainly not going to be emotionally or mentally tasking. Like you know, you go into it eyes wide open, and you're just like, I'm getting this done. I'm doing this, and these are my reasons why. It's done. The pain subsides. It goes away. Life is beautiful. Sure. I, t- I went yeah. in ready. I walked in there in sweats. <laughs> I, I did not care about what I looked like. I did not want to wear jeans. I didn't want to wear anything tight. The, the, the nurse practitioner, whatever he was, like when he met me at the, at, in the waiting room, he, he looked me up and down and goes, oh, you're ready. <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. So here, yeah. how's this for a segue, Sam? So when I uh-huh. got off the chair... After the vasectomy was done, the doctor left the room. He left me to clean up. There was a small pull of red right around where my butt was. Oh, my God. So with that in mind, let's get into Blood Moon. Wow. <laughs> Dead jokes. Dead jokes. This, this has been, this has already been an episode. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into Blood of Leap yet. Well, listeners, you know us. You know us better. You know us better each and every time you hit that download <laughs> button, and we certainly are a lot closer now. Uh, but we are here this yeah. week yes. to talk about Blood Moon, the 90th episode of Quantum Leap, directed by Alan J. Levi, written by Tommy Thompson. Our air date is February the 9th, 1993. Our leap date is March 10th, 1975. Sam is left into Nigel Corrington. And our location is somewhere near London. I don't think it gets much more specific than that. Um, what's our TV guide description? Our TV guide description. Uh, we're, we're near London, but we are also near the Batcave. Remind me to come back to that later. Uh, TV yes. guide description. Sam swoops into an artist who lives like a vampire and whose wife might meet a gruesome end. And in other countries, Germany, France, and Italy, it was simply known as Blood Moon in their languages. Doesn't, yeah. Pretty, pretty, Doesn't pretty simple. Pretty simple, straightforward. Not subtle. Speaking of not subtle, 
Yeah. Sam leaps into a coffin. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is actually, I, I think, it's interesting because this episode, one of the things that I, I, and it reminded me a lot of Dr. Ruth in some ways, but one of the things that this episode does not necessarily get right is the tone. It does, it, like, the, there's really no good balance between the, you know, sort of the comedy and, and the heavier moments. And I feel like had it been played a little bit more straight, the comedic moments would have landed better. And the, the, the drama, the tension would have, would have existed and, la- you know, been more sustained. Whereas I feel like it doesn't. That said, the leap in, I, I mean, how terrifying, how terrifying for Sam to leap into a coffin. Uh... I mean, I mean, right? Like, if we hadn't been been led, I mean, one, like right. all the marketing for the episode, you know, blah blah blah. You knew exactly what Sam was leaping into, uh, and that, and also like the leap out from the previous episode, and the you know showing the vampire leap into the into the waiting room. Oh, like how scary! I mean, how interesting would it have been if they would have like kind of teased, like, no, like Sam leaped into like a coffin, a right. corpse, you know? And even even if even if you know the, the obviously the marketing for the episode would have hit. Uh, even if the leap out would have shown him leaping into the coffin, that would have been enough, I think, for a lot of viewers to be like, oh, shit, you know? And then the very next day, they pick up their TV guide, and they're like, oh, it's a vampire story, I see. You know, but but I think by sacrificing that for basically hamming it up and, you know, trying to get the viewers with, like, oh, it's a vampire story or whatever, I don't know, it's just... it, it the The, again... Tonally, I think the episode misses the mark more often than not, um, and we'll—I mean—we'll get more into that. But I do think that the leap in uh, is very, is very atmospheric and very potentially terrifying. There's a, there's a certain bit of dramatic irony, you know, where we know, but Sam doesn't know, and I think that it—I don't know. As I was watching it, it was—it was—I I, I chose to suspend my disbelief actively and just allow myself to kind of be on that small little journey where Sam is in a coffin and doesn't know that he can just get out easily. And I, and, and the minute he gets out, it's played for laughs, but there's a, there's like a beat there where you can kind of see the terror as he's, you know, scrambling around in the coffin. And it's really kind of nice. Sure. Um, I will say as a counterpoint, I think aside from one moment that took me out of the episode, this episode is pretty consistent in tone mm. like it knows what it is like we talked about with Dr. Ruth like how it switched back between like you know that kind of thriller bad guy of the week you know fatal attraction uh, fatal attraction that's a bad you know what I mean between yeah. that and like and like the comedy and Doug and Debbie's thing tonally it had a hard time shifting back and forth there was one moment in this episode that I was like oh oh god I forgot that they went there oh I'm kind of taken out but other than that I thought totally the episode was pretty spot on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in. Yeah, let's dive on in. So, uh, yeah, Sam, Sam leaps into a coffin. Uh, he is greeted almost right away by, oh, what's her name? What's her name? What's her Alexandra. name? Alexandra. Alexandra. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, the actress's name. Shay Dillon. Shay Dillon. This was her first on-camera role, at least listed on... It sure uh, was. At least listed on IMDb. Um... I've seen her, I think I've probably like seen her in passing on um, Will and Grace on, on the other show that she was on several episodes of, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't seen her in much other stuff yet, but yeah, uh, appropriately creepy. I actually, it's funny, I actually remembered her from two things, um, because 
Uh, I was, for whatever reason, uh, I, I was fairly addicted to Dharma and Greg. Dharma um, and Greg, that's it, not Will and Grace. Yeah. Dharma and Greg. And, and, uh, and, 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 and remembered her from that. Um, she played Jane. And, um, yeah, 16-year-old Sam had quite a crush on... And Jen Elfman, I, I don't, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say I had a crush, but I found her attractive. I could see it. And now the the actor, what's his name? Uh, 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 Greg oh, uh, uh, Greg Montgomery? No, no, Thomas Gis- Thomas, Thomas Gibson. Yeah. He yeah. he's been like he's been on uh, Criminal Minds forever now. Yeah, like so much so I forgot that he that he once did comedy and he was right. Yeah. Um, I, well, and it's funny too because I also recognized her from Boardwalk Empire. Uh, she plays Carolyn Rothstein in, in that, um, and uh, and then it's funny because I did not re- recall. Although I can't remember if I was watching at this point, but she is in an episode of Orange Is the New Black, which I enjoyed the first couple of seasons of quite a bit, and then just felt like it had a huge dip in quality around like season four or so. Um, and, and I never got back on. I heard it got better again, but I just never got back on to it. Here's my thing about Orange is the New Black. I really liked it when I thought it was going to be a one-season TV show. Mm. Because this was like kind of relatively early on in Netflix original programming. Yep. So I thought that they were going to do something really interesting, and they were just going to do like a one-season show. And just, you know, uh, Piper, you just use Piper to, to introduce us to all these uh, more interesting characters in the prison. I thought it was going to be a one and done. And then once I found out it was going to be more than one season, I was like, ah, dude. I watched maybe two seasons with Betsy, and then I dropped off, and then she continued on. Yeah. Yeah, Jess and I watched the first three seasons, and like I said, I was I, I enjoyed the first two seasons. The third season, you know, there were parts that I liked, but, but I, I, I don't know. It ultimately... This isn't a podcast about that. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> when has that ever stopped us before, Sam? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it just kind of it, it, it fell off a table for me pretty hard, and and I feel like it is unfortunate because again, I heard some really good things about. I think like you know when when the fifth season hit or something like that, but I just sure. didn't really get back into it. Um, so. Uh, yeah, Shade Lynn. I think it's interesting because as I was watching the episode, I, I did kind of watch her with a good deal of scrutiny, um, unfairly or otherwise. And one of the things that I did kind of come away from it, it, or take away from her performance is that I think she suits the role quite wonderfully. Um, and there, you know, there's some stuff that I think is fairly surface level. Um, that there's that there's maybe a depth to this particular character that we didn't get, but again, it's a 45 minute television show, and there was really only one scene where they actually talk about her past, um, and you know, for the most part, I thought she did a great job with with the role. So, um, as someone who has made jokes about this particular episode in prior episodes of this podcast. Uh, so far, so good, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, her, like I said, I mean, a lot of it's very surface level, but I think she does, yeah, like you said, she does really good with what she's got, um, and we'll get into it later on. Like, I kind of like like her arc, like what they did overall with the character and how, like, they kind of acknowledge, like, Sam needs to do something to make sure that she's taken care of after he leaps out. Because uh, 
the person that he's leaped into, Nigel, is not a good dude. Right. Uh, so maybe we should get in. Nigel, basically, he is uh, one of London's uh, most eccentric artists, and basically he lives life as a vampire. Indeed. Indeed. It, you know, one of the things that I, that I, that I will level at the episode uh, as a criticism is that I, I feel without getting to know a little bit more about Nigel, um, that we never, like, I can't decide if at any point they took this character or this person that Sam leapt into seriously, or if it was just a gimmick. And, 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 and I think that, you know, like you said, we get kind of a hint that maybe he's not the nicest guy in the world, but ultimately we don't really get a good idea of who Nigel was before Sam leapt in. Like, it, it, again, it's played for a gag and a gimmick. We don't really get a clear picture. It's like, okay, he's, a, he's an eccentric artist yeah, I mean, thinks he's a vampire. I mean, but they also kind of tease that he could actually be a vampire because the, the, the big painting on the wall in the study or wherever, Al notes that he looks exactly like the guy that's in the waiting room. Right. So is it, I can't remember like the name of the character, is it like his, his ancestor who lived in that castle 300 years ago? Or, or was it actually him? Right. I don't know. Well, and there's the, the lack of the mirror shot that we get as well. Ah. I mean, it's, it's a TV show, whatever. We've talked about this before. There are some leaps where Sam just goes on forever without ever actually having looked in a mirror. Right. You would think as soon as the first conversation that him and Al had about whether or not he's a vampire, the first thing that Sam would do would be go and look for a mirror or yeah. some or some reflective service. Now, that said, to come back around to the first scene, I did take a note. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, after the opening credits, we, we come back and we meet Boris the Butler. Yes, and, we do. And uh, Alexandra goes off. And there is this uh, really nice scene where we're getting to know Boris, and Boris is coming in, <sighs> cleaning off the coffin, wiping it down, putting the cover over it. They stand around that coffin, which is a pretty reflective surface. Sure, yeah. And they somehow manage to avoid getting Scott Bakula's reflection or shadow on that thing even once in that scene that I could tell. Kudos to the lighting director. Absolutely. Actually, you know, another thing that I will say in support of this episode is that I feel as though the production values all around are perfect for this episode. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's no coincidence that the episode was nominated for an Emmy for Art Direction, actually, in 1993. Um, and I, I think it's well-deserved. I think that there is, um, you know, there is certainly a, a, a quality... Um, to the overall production values, to, to creating the world, the ca- you know the castle. It's just one set. You know we don't go anywhere else besides the castle, um, and I think that it, it works really really well. Uh, same with the costumes. Yeah, the costumes are somewhat simple, um, although the dress uh, that um, uh, uh, Claudia uh, wears I think is spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's funny because though because this is an episode that uh, Jean Pierre did not costume design. Ooh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, even something like that, like what you're talking about, I, 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 you know, certainly goes hand in hand uh, with that. The fact that they were able to to nail uh, something, you know, like not getting a reflection or a shadow uh, uh, when they when they didn't want one. Um, Boris ends up being such a wonderful character and such a wonderful little role. I uh, forgot Rob, my hat, sir. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Rod Loomis is the actor. Um, if he looks familiar uh, to you, uh, it's because he played Sigmund Freud in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm just. <laughs> but uh, hey, maybe, he also... maybe he'll come back. Maybe not. Nah, he's not on there. He's not in the new movie. Not in the new yeah, Bill and Ted coming out. Anyway. Sadly. Um, but uh, he also uh, you know, did a ton of television prior to this. Um, had a stint on General Hospital in the early '80s. Um, also, of course, gets our Star Trek: The Next Generation shout out for the week as Dr. Paul Mannheim, the husband of a former lover of Jean Luc. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes. That's why he looks so familiar. Yeah. Um, hasn't done a lot recently. Um, it, you know, according to to what we can see here, he is still around. Um, but it's been about 10 years since his uh, last uh, credit on IMDb. Um, but yeah, I just think he does a wonderful job in this in this role. So yeah, he's great. Um, and then I think from there, pretty on, don't we meet Victor and Claudia like really soon? We do, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the episode moves along at a pretty good clip early on. It's interesting because um, I, I think that it actually does work well. Um, instead of there being a little bit more set up before the dinner party guests arrive and all that sort of stuff, I think that it works well to just sure. throw us right in. Um, Ian Buchanan plays Victor Drake. Um, he had just recently completed a stint on Twin Peaks, which is a show that we've obviously talked about before, and, and uh, uh, there's been some crossover in, in casting and directing um, uh, with that particular show. Uh, here's a guy who has just worked forever consistently on all sorts of projects, you know, film, television, soap operas, drama, comedy, you know, etc. the whole nine yards. Um, he started his career in the mid-80s with an episode of The Equalizer. Um, he played um, Ian McPfeiffer on the Gary Shandling show, or it's Gary Shandling's show, excuse me, that's different from the Gary Shandling show. Uh, he um, also has gone on since then to do, you know, again, numerous guest spots, one of my personal favorites on his credit list is he played the Ultra Humanite on the Justice League television series. Uh, it's, it was voice acting; it's a cartoon, and uh, sure. I just I, I just happen to love that particular character and his rendition of the character uh, in the cartoon. Most recently, uh, he's been seen on soap operas, uh, uh, starting with Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, The Bold and the Beautiful. Um, he just wrapped up a stint on The Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, of 258 episodes in 2017 um, and then he's got a few things in the pipeline that should be coming out shortly uh, and then Claudia his his wife is played by Deborah Moore and um, interesting note about Deborah Moore her father is none other than Sir Roger Moore of James Bond fame Nice, yeah. nice. I like that. I will say this about Ian Buchanan. He the the note I took is he strikes me as store brand Dean Stockwell. <laughs> just just by his look, sure. Just by his look, he looks a little like Dean Stockwell. Or to be to be more flattering, like if they ever had done an episode where they showed Al somewhere between Jamie Walters and Dean Stockwell, yeah. Ian Buchanan would have been a nice in between, sure. somewhere along the way. Oh man, maybe maybe a little tall, but yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe a little bit tall, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I. Their characters are so delightfully uh, weird. I don't know if trashy is the right word. Uh, they, you know, they they are obviously they are 
they were hypersexual, which totally plays into the vampire. Yes. Uh, you know, plays into the vampire stereotype. I had forgotten just how heavy they laid on the sexual overtones. Yeah, me how, too. How later on, how later on, how, uh, I think the line is, I want to bathe in your greatness. Like, basically, uh, Deborah or Claudia just flat out invites him for a threesome. Yeah. Before the ceremony, which I think is a quantum leap first and last. <laughs> uh, a permanent wave, Sam almost teases a threesome between the two twins. That's right. To, to, to drive out crazy, but... Yes. But yeah, it's the one and only time in this series where Sam gets invited to a threesome. Right. And, of course, Boy, Boy Scout Sam is, is turning that down. Yeah. You know, speaking of which... It's I, one I, I turned down. I think... Well, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm with you on that one. Um, I, I, I think that they... You know, the, the interesting thing is, is that I really enjoy both of them in this episode. But the thing that I found so off-putting in the episode, and I hate to say this... Because it feels like I'm, I'm, you know, loving a criticism at Scott Bakula. Is I just, I just don't understand the choice for Sam to be as bumbling, and 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 everything as he is in this episode. It just doesn't make sense to me, especially hot on the heels of Doctor Ruth, where he's been, you know, over the top prudish bumbler, and now we have him here, and it's especially it doesn't. It doesn't always work because it's contrasted with the scenes with Al, where it's like all of a sudden he goes from being kind of bumbling around with, you know, with the pseudo vampires in the house to then having to kind of be the skeptic and the skeptical straight man to Al's goofy ass, you know, believer, uh, uh, superstitious. So it, it just, I don't know, for something, for some reason, I just really, really didn't like it in this episode. Huh. It did not bug me. I mean, sometimes I will say, like, one of my biggest criticisms, maybe about the series overall, is I feel like, especially in the last couple of seasons, Scott Bakula leaned too hard into the bumbling, tripping over himself. Yeah. When 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 Sam is uncomfortable, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. Here. But over, like I said, there were uh, early on when I was taking notes on this, I kept writing down one-liners after one-liners, and then I was just like, "Damn it!" Like this episode is just filled with a lot of great one-liners. Yeah, the back and forth between between Sam and Al. So I think, like I said, overall, um, I thought this episode like knew what it was. I feel like this episode knew what it was more than say Kursatahotep. Yeah. Like, I feel this episode, like, almost hits the same beats of Curse of Tahotep. We're just in a vampire setting instead of a... A mummy a setting. A mummy setting. Yeah, I would totally yeah. agree with that. Like, like even down to, like, in Curse of Tahotep, where Sam decides, okay, there's a curse. All right, I'm going to go piss off the mummy, and I'm going to go invade his sarcophagus. And this episode, to prove to Al that uh, he is not Count Bathory, he goes and he desecrates the grave. Right. Which in any other episode, I would say that is so unlike Sam, but in this episode, eh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess the thing is, is that like, had, had the, had, had the comedy come from Al and Sam's interactions with Al and had Sam played things a little bit straighter and had Sam, you know, really embraced the gravity of the situation about trying to save this young girl 
um, who's going to you know wind up dead. That's the thing. It's that the stakes, no pun intended, never feel quite <laughs> real enough for me because it by the time by the time things are taken seriously, they're still not even taken super seriously. Because like when Claudia is getting ready to apparently like feed on Sam, like he's not he doesn't really take it super seriously until you know like right before she does it, and then Boris saves the day. Sure. I mean, I feel like there's like one of the. It, it, it leans so heavy into being a genre episode that if they had taken it too seriously, like it would have totally been weird. Maybe I don't know, but then but the problem with that is that for me, and I and I, and certainly I understand that you know Quantum Leap gives us the luxury of exploring these different genres and giving us this tapestry of episodes, but but like there's still a certain grounding element. And I don't feel as though we really get that in this episode. We get one scene, in my opinion, that feels truly grounded. And that's the conversation between Alexandra and Sam, where he is kind of trying to, like, you know, say, hey, you don't have to, like, all this fantasy bullshit, you don't have to indulge in all this, like, you're a wonderful human being, uh, you know, and, and she tells him, like, what happened to her and why she became homeless, all this sort of stuff. Like, that's the only scene in the show that it actually feels truly grounded. Everything else just feels so silly that it's just hard for me to care as much as I want to at certain points. Especially because at this particular point in the show's history, I am fighting, fighting to, like, really just be like, man, I wish we could have gotten that sixth season. Whereas so many times this season, I just see the wheels just just having a hard time. That engine is really having a hard time turning over, you know? Sure. I got you. I will say two scenes. Yeah, the, the, the one scene between him and Alexander that you're just saying. And this is the scene where they went too far. And it took me out of the episode. Yeah. They killed the dog. <laughs> yeah. They killed the fucking dog. <laughs> Yeah, I had for, I had forgotten that, and it, I mean it, it, it's it's weird how human age works. Like, had they killed Boris off? And like, ah, that's sad. Okay, but they killed Vlad. Right, they killed Vlad, and pretty much tell you that Victor did it. Yeah, with with, with the blood on his thing. Um, yeah, and Al's line about what's left of of the dog's throat. That's what took me out of the episode. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it, a step too far. I, I, I suppose I just, the, the, like, one of the notes that I took is that I, I it, it just feels like they weren't taking the episode seriously. And, and that made me say, well, how can I take it seriously? And I don't mean take it seriously as in it should be a serious straight drama, but I mean it felt like, it just felt like there was a little bit of a lack of care. It just didn't feel as though everyone really earned their paycheck on this one. Uh, see, me over here, I'm trying to figure out how is this episode much worse than Curse of Tahotep? I wouldn't say or, I, w- I would or, say Curse or, of Tahotep is worse, or Portrait for Troyan. Well, Portrait for Troyan is definitely worse. See, to me, like these three episodes are very much like if you were like to organize like like a little mini marathon or whatever or a theme, Portrait for Troyan, 
Kirsten Irotep, and these three are a perfect trifecta of just but weirdness. But here's the big difference. Portrait for Troyan is has horrible direction um, and a horrible script and a not great performance from Deborah Pratt. Scott is incredible in it. Everyone else is credible and and good and solid. And even Pratt does a good job. Like the moments that like there are some scenes where she and Scott are together that the scenes you know really really work. But the direction is terrible and the script is bad. Uh, Curse of Tahotep. The script is fairly bad, and some of the acting is fairly terrible, and it, it, it just doesn't hold together for me overall. But Scott is great, and um, you know the villain, the heavy, is is good. The circumstances of the ending, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, this episode, though, it's strange because I actually feel like Tommy Thompson delivered a good script. The art direction is fantastic. The production values are high. Alan J. Levi's direction is great. Um, the performances themselves aren't bad. It just feels a little phoned in. I think that's fair. It be, and it's not even, and again, it's not that the performances are bad. It's just almost like it's almost like they sat down at the table read and couldn't decide if they wanted to make this episode a full-on spoof comedy, or if they wanted it to be a little bit more serious with these bits of comedy, you know, kind of sprinkled in. And as such, it lies somewhere in the middle, and it just doesn't work for me. I see your argument. And the biggest reason, and one of the big reasons why why I will throw that out there is the stakes of Alexandra potentially dying, the killing of the dog, as you mentioned, and the fact that Sam pretty much just low-key kills a guy at the end of the episode, like, it's kind of like, he pushes, he pushes Victor off the side of the, 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 the mansion. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. Victor gets struck by lightning and falls off the edge of the, of the mansion. Are you serious? I am serious. I mean, this... Well, this Jesus is Christ, I, that's this, even fucking worse. <laughs> see, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is an episode that knows exactly what it is. Like, even the way they set up the shot of Victor getting struck by lightning, like, it is it is totally an homage to old, bad, 50s vampire monster movies. Victor raises the dagger up. He is about to stab Alexander in the neck. He gets struck by lightning just as Sam gets to him. Victor freezes in like this weird comic thing, and he just falls like stiff as a board straight back off the edge of the castle. Sam almost gets there, like to the point, like it's it's unbelievable, which is a, a big stretch in that, this entire episode. Like Sam is so close to him when he gets struck by lightning, it's hard to believe that he wouldn't have gotten a little spark off the lightning at least. To the point you thought he pushed Victor off. No. Victor got struck by lightning and fell back stiff as a board. I hate this episode even more than I did before. <laughs> uh, whatever. Whatever. That's one of the reasons when I was younger, I did hate this episode because what a cheesy ending. But then, like, lean into the genre, accept that it's kind of like spoofing like those old bad 50s movies. And it just... It... it it really works as a genre episode, but it's almost to the point, like, I, I don't want to consider this episode canon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. 
But at the same time, I still think it's an episode that knows what it is better. And uh, maybe it's some hate mail on this one. I don't know. I almost think it's better than Dr. Ruth. And I think it's better than the episode that follows it. I don't know. I have I, I, I have I have a stronger memory of, of of Return of the Evil Leaper, so I, I'm I'm on the fence with that. I'll I, you know when when I do my rewatch, certainly I'll, I'll I'll let you know. But um, I don't know. This has just always been an episode that I've kind of been like, meh, whatever. You know me. I mean, I I've said it from the very beginning, pretty much. I like Quantum Leap when it takes itself seriously. I like Quantum Leap so much better, and that's not to say that there aren't episodes that I can't enjoy that have comedic, you know, overtones. Double Identity being a great example early in the show, sure. uh, when the show didn't even really know what it was completely, uh, is a great example of an episode that has some really great comedic moments, and 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 I think works well overall, uh, and is a genre episode as well. But but yeah, yeah. It's just, it, and it is too bad because again, I'm not. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that any of the the, 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 the principles are, are not good. There are some fun moments. Um, you know, the supporting cast does a really good job too. It's just again, I think the tone is what is what turns me off the most. Don't you want to pick up a copy of How to Spot a Vampire by Dr. Laszlo Fang? Okay, now it's funny you say that because I literally wrote the Fang book stuff is great. This is the humor I'm talking about. Like, that to me, like, that is acceptable. I don't mind that at all. It's just some of the other shit, I just, oh, it drives me crazy. I, like, I don't mind the silliness. I don't mind the silliness of it. I don't mind that. It's the, it's, 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 it, really, it's just Sam bumbling around. It's just like, take your fucking job seriously, dude. <laughs> Because I'm getting as tired as you probably are. I mean, I mean, do you, do you kind of wonder? Did Scott Bakula sit down at that table read and he just read the script? He's like, "God damn it!" Four years ago, we were filming Color of Truth. Yeah, that was some really good television. Yeah, I'm laying in a fucking coffin. Yeah. Look, Scott is a great guy, and is and is and is and has rarely said a bad word about anything, as far as I can tell. But that oh, yeah, said, yeah. when you look at some of the episodes he got saddled with in the last two seasons of this show, it's like season four had so many mediocre episodes. Even if they were, you know, good hour-long TV dramas, they were just mediocre hour-long TV dramas. And then season five just had so many freaking gimmick episodes that as a fan of this show, it was difficult for me to care. It's like they lost the thread on me. I get you. And here's the weird thing. I'm interested to see how I feel about them upon rewatch. Towards the very end, um, Leap Between the States and uh, Goodbye Norma Jean, like those two episodes, I actually was like, I was dialed in for as a kid. I remember like as a kid, and, and even on rewatches, I've kind of enjoyed them. And they're gimmicky as all hell. But 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 in my memory, which is which is fuzzy, and, and I'll rewatch them and see how I feel then. In my memory, I didn't mind the gimmick because they were still decent episodes, and they had a certain weight, and they were taken seriously enough. Whereas you get stuff like this and Doctor Ruth that are straight out gimmick episodes with stunt casting and and you know some weird 
whatever Blood Moon is. I don't know. It's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate that this is that this is where they had to. They felt like they had to go in order to keep the show alive. And to they be fair, it didn't bold. work. Yeah, they are being bold. They are being innovative. They are being <laughs> nude. Yeah, they are Meta- m- metaphorically, metaphorically speaking. Right? I understand your hate. To me, uh, it's one of those. Uh, I watched this episode when I first got the Blu-ray set. Actually, Betsy and I sat down and watched it together because I wanted to show her the worst episode of Quantum Leap ever. Yeah. And I don't think it holds that title. It doesn't hold that distinction. No. Because even, even as a kid, like, this is an episode that should have appealed to me as a kid, maybe, in a weird way. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but even as a kid, I did, I did not like this episode. Right. I enjoy it much more as an adult. Than I do now. Sure. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I was in the vampires. Like I, I, I was, you know, the, like vampires appealed to me. And, and, and again, yeah, you would think that this would be an episode that would have appealed to me, but it didn't. And I think part of the thing is, is like I'm reminded too of episodes like Miss Deep South. Miss Deep South has, you know, puts Sam into some incredibly silly situations, and that are that are played, you know, for laughs, and 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 he bumbles his way through them, but the episode also knows when to get serious, how to get serious, how to raise the stakes. And I feel like here it's so, again, the tone is, is, is imbalanced enough that it's so much about this absurd, weird spoof quality that you're talking about that Alexandra, the danger that Alexandra is supposedly in gets completely lost. I get that, but also it's like one of those things. Like, had they treated treated it seriously, you could have not had any comedy in this episode. Like, you would have had to have gone to a very darkly comic place. Which, because, which because frankly, what this episode is, it's it's like it's, it's uh, Nigel Corrington takes a homeless woman off the street, marries her, totally tricks her, pulls her in. She's obviously she she's got a little. Uh, I, I don't want to be insensitive about it. She, it seems like she's got a little mental illness, mental disability going on a little bit. Uh, and he takes her in, like knowing that they're going to kill her in some weird, freaky sacrifice kind of thing. If you take that too seriously, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird... Yeah. I mean, I guess in a way I would find that more interesting, though. I Personally, and it's a very subjective thing, I would have found that take for Quantum Leap more interesting because it's done, because that would be something a little bit more different than what they normally do. You know? Not that there haven't been darkly comic situations that have occurred in other episodes, but I don't know. I, 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 I just... Um, When you have moments, you see, the other thing that's weird, and I think it kind of exemplifies what I'm talking about, when Sam takes the drink from Victor... Sure. Is Sam really that naive? Especially after five years of leaping through time and space and being in the situations that he's in. Would he really take this drink and toast with this guy? And furthermore, if he is... Why not explicitly, rather than implicitly, show Victor poisoning the drink? Because we see it. We know. Sam doesn't. Again, kind of like the coffin gag, that's dramatic irony 101. The audience knows something that our hero does not, and now 
the suspense is in, will he take the drink, won't he take the drink, what's going to happen? And instead, it's just... It, that's the other thing. Like the episode never really goes for it when it could go for it on some of this stuff. Sure. Same thing with I like mean, guess... not opening, deciding not to open the coffin, deciding not to definitively state whether or not Nigel is a vampire because they were afraid to do that because they didn't necessarily want to alienate viewers. It's like they don't go places that they could go, and it just makes it, the episode feel kind of unfulfilling. Sure. I mean, I guess. Uh... We could have, they could have faked the audience out. Instead of having Boris come back and save the day, Sam could have acted like he was poisoned. Sure. And then when Victor got over him, then he, he comes up and, you know, punches him out and goes off to rescue the day. But it's a nice excuse to bring Boris back, even though it's a horrible excuse. It is. But it is. It's, but, it, but, it, but it is. But again, it's, it's one of those moments that I actually enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, I got my head set, yes. You know, and another thing is, it's funny about that moment, too, is I actually enjoy Sam going for the teeth. Yeah. Like, I I liked that, because again, it actually decided to make the statement, as opposed to a coffin that never gets opened. It's like Chekhov's gun. It's like, why go through all this rigmarole over a coffin to find out who's in this coffin if you're not going to actually tell us who's in the fucking coffin? You know, why set all this vampire shit up if you're not going to actually tell us who's the vampire? You know, again, it's classic. It's Chekhov's gun. Whereas, in this case, the fangs, we see the fangs. The fangs are bared. She's going to take a bite out of Sam. Sam has to know. He's got to know. He's got to know for our benefit just as much as his own benefit. And what happens? He takes the teeth out, and we get this definitive, they're fake. They're fake teeth. You know, I, lo- I love the line, either they're fake or she's got the dental plan from hell. I lo- I've always loved that line. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, but I, I agree with you on that. Again, that moment just works for me on all those levels. I get you. It's, yeah. doesn't bug me that much. I've always... Uh, I, know, I felt like when I was younger, the teeth thing was kind of hokey. Okay. But... I can get that. Uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, for, from, a, from a plot standpoint, like, what, like, if Boris hadn't knocked Claudia out, what was, right. what was she going to do, you know? I mean, I think she was going to bite him. I mean, I think, I mean, was that, like, foreplay? Was she going to, like, bite him playfully on the neck and then, like, start other stuff while he was tied down? I don't know. I mean, that would, that would make sense, whether or not that is what was going to happen. I mean. But, I don't know. We never find out. Yeah. Speaking yeah. Uh, of Boris coming back to the castle, we do get two or three establishing shots of the outside of the castle. Did you recognize this castle? I did not. I forget this detail every time, and then I'm reminded every day. It's something that's ingrained in my head from childhood. That is the exterior of 1960s Wayne Manor. I'll be damned. How about that? Because I, I forget that every time, and then when it popped up this time, I was like, wait. So I, I paused it, and I was watching it on my laptop. Side by side, I pulled up a picture of Wayne Manor from the Batman TV series, and it is the same. Yep, same one. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, now, the inside, I thought I, I thought I'd saw it on IMDb, and then I lost it. I don't know if they were filming on a set or if they were actually filming on location for the interior of the... I'm going to assume set. Um, it it, it kind of had that set yeah. feel to me. And then, I mean, it's one of the, like, I've always, I, I think you're right, and that's one of the reasons why I have an issue with a lot of last season episodes we've talked about before, is that everything seems like it's more on a set 
Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah, so we get to the end of the episode. Yes. Uh, Victor is dead. He was not pushed. He was struck by lightning. Yeah. How about that? Uh, Deborah <laughs> is being taken off. And this is, and it's like, I know like we're wrapping the episode up and everything, but it's, it's uh, the detective like giving like the heavy handed line of exposition of, well, we're, we're basically, we're going to believe that everything Alexandra says, you're her, what she says, that story checks out. So there's no reason to bring you in, sir. Uh, we're going to see you off. And then I do appreciate like the little bit of seriousness, the seriousness in the episode where like Sam and Al kind of have a powwow and like, it's, it's not a good idea for, for her to be here. Yeah. I mean, if anything, if I were to gripe, like Sam could do more to turn Nigel in, you know what I mean? Right. That would seem to make more sense. Right. Because again, we're left with that question of like, what happens when Nigel comes back? Like what's to stop it, Especially because when you think about the way that Alexandra has already been manipulated and, and basically emotionally and mentally abused and even physically really like when you think about that abusive nature of the relationship and, and, and clearly Nigel preyed on this young girl from a disadvantaged background, uh, uh who, who is clearly, you know, damaged in some way. Uh, sure. What's going to prevent him from coming back? And like so many of these manipulative and abusive fellows will do. Yeah. You know, just just going right back to her. You know, well, I've changed. You know, obviously things are different now. You should come back. Everything will be okay. And then you know, three months from now, she ends up dead anyway in some sort of weird ritual blood sacrifice. That I mean, if Al hadn't done the thing that they do with the, all the episodes, where Al says how everybody lived happily ever right. after. You could very well take that, take that away. Yeah, that that could happen. How would this be for an ending, though? The last episode ended with us seeing Nigel in the waiting room. What if this episode had ended somewhat similarly? And this is just something that popped into my head. What if Sam decides to turn himself in instead of just like whatever? Like when the detective gets there, he's like, "No, I am a bad person. This is my part. I want you to take me in." The detective handcuffs him. Sam leaps. Nigel leaps back in. Turns into a bat and flies out the fucking window. Oh, Full circle. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I guess that that's the thing. The other thing that's weird is that here we have a, a show that has a, a you know, a, a science fiction slash fantasy sort of conceit um, in order to explore all these different avenues. And yet, when the show actually comes up against these more science fiction-y kind of elements, it, 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 it always cops out or fails miserably. You know, Troyan, Tahotep, uh, Blood Moon, you've got your ghost story, your mummy story, your vampire story... And they all they all fail, and and part of it is because like again Troyan they take seriously, but it's just kind of a, not a great script, and there's some other problems with it, you know. But but Tahu Tap and this one, it, it just they don't get the tone right. And then, you know, you think about you think about like the evil leaper stuff, which again it, it, it is kind of your classic like sort of sci-fi, you know, kind of yeah. But but. It, one could certainly argue as to whether or not it actually works. Um, 
the only time they really steer into something sort of metaphysical and sci-fi where it ends up really, really working all the way, in my opinion, is Mirror Image. Yeah. Because they go to, like, a very abstract... Yeah. Is this real? Is this, a, you know, is this in Sam's head? Is he between leaps, as I've, you know, I've heard people throw out there? Which really makes me wonder if we had gotten a season six and they had decided to do the futuristic sci-fi thing that they were going to do, would it have actually frickin' worked? Would they have known how how in the hell to tell that story? Because I don't I, think Don Bellis, I don't think Don Bellisario would have known. No, neither do I. And, and this, this is kind of like going off on a tangent. I I I want to see I want to see a new quantum leap in whatever iteration they want to bring. Don't put it in Don Bellisario's hands. Yeah. God love you. God bless. Uh, kind of like uh, Gene Roddenberry didn't know what to do with Star Trek yep. uh, in, in his last few years. Uh, God bless you, Don Bellisario. You're past your time. Let's take this wonderful idea, these wonderful characters, and, and let's see what somebody else yeah. does with them. I completely uh, agree. Because you have a great point. Because like, had they gone on and gone to a more sci-fi season six, I don't know if Bellisario would have been able to pull it off. Yeah. No, I think that quite frankly, and I'm not saying that these are the people to do it, and I know that there are probably a lot of people, especially listeners to our podcast, that would not like this at all. But quite frankly, I feel like if you're going if you were going to do the show and it be a straight like reboot, not a continuation, you need to have like somebody like, you know, Kirkman and Orchie or JJ Abrams, like you need that kind uh, you know, that kind of pedigree on this show. Um, and not quite frankly, like, basically if you got somebody like Don Belisario to write the show now, you would basically be pulling writers from CSI to write Quantum Leap. And in 2020, that would not fucking play. Right? You know? Yeah. 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 Oh, man. So, a couple of things that are worth <laughs> mentioning real quick just about the episode so we can cover all the normal bases. It is interesting that we have a dog named Vlad. Vlad Tepish, of course, is the historical basis for the fictional character of Dracula. Uh, of course, Victor's last name is Drake, which, again, has also been used in numerous other mediums, including novels, as a last name for the character of Dracula, sort of a, a, a um, nom de plume of Dracula, mm-hmm. an alter ego, an alias. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and um, we get a shout out to Count Bathory which of course is not a real historical figure uh, when it comes to the dagger uh, we have the Countess of Bathory who was indeed the real historical figure um, The, of course the stories that are told about Count Bathory in this are very similar to the stories that have been told about the Countess which are all apocryphal there's no evidence that she actually did those things although she was a pretty awful human being sure um you know, Al touches on all the, the, the normal myths about vampires, crucifixes, garlic. Uh, oh, it is worth mentioning, there are two really just cherishable moments that do occur between Sam and Al in this episode. It's when Al is describing Nigel, pale skin, beady eyes, and and Sam responds like, sounds like you're talking about yourself, you know, yeah. uh, which is just a beautiful little moment between the two of them. And then later on, when Al is talking about from the book, like the oversexed, you know, all this sort of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Sam is, of course, sounds like he could be describing a hologram, which those those playful moments between our established characters do work really well, and I and I and I did enjoy those. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just hate on the episode the whole time. <laughs> I, 
I gotcha. I gotcha. And we talked about this off mic before we started recording. The writer Tommy Thompson, uh, he he noted this. This is in Matt's book, and he noted this when he was on the uh, the, the the Quantum Leap podcast uh, back in 2015. That he was not proud of this episode or Revenge of the Evil Leaper, which comes up next. He 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 wonders maybe if he was going through some personal stuff at the time. But right, I don't know. I feel like I said, I I feel. Like, this is an episode that is stronger than Revenge of the Evil Leaper for multiple reasons. Uh, at least that was my memory the last time I did a rewatch. It was like uh, three or four years ago. But, uh, yeah, we'll see when we cover that next time. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. It, you know, it'll be interesting. It, it's worth noting, speaking of Matt, that Matt uh, does actually um, enjoy this episode. Um, and... Uh, you know that 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 Tommy Thompson did go out on a good note. Um, it mentions a couple of the things that you mentioned too about kind of the homage to the to the '30s, you know, uh, horror films from Universal, etc. Um, there are a couple of folks online um, that seem to like this episode quite a lot over at Al's place. There's actually a vampire blog um, that, uh, they cover, like, all forms of vampires in the media, and so they, this is the only episode of Quantum Leap that they reviewed, but they are familiar with the show, so it's not like they've, you know, this is the only episode that they've ever seen, um, but they were quite complimentary of the episode, and there are, of course, a lot of people that didn't like it as well, uh, Al's Place has a number of, uh, messages on the message board about saying it was their least favorite, our buddy over at the MacGyver Project, he kind of, it seems like, falls a little bit somewhere in the middle. It's definitely towards the bottom of his rankings, um, but he's a little kinder to, to certain aspects of the episode. Really liked uh, Ian Buchanan and, and Deborah Moore quite a bit. So, um, you know, I I think that I probably fall somewhere. I'm not going to say I hate it, so I'm not one of those folks that's like, it's the worst episode ever. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be, I liked it, and I might not even be in the middle, but maybe I'm a little bit just you know, below the middle, <laughs> the middle yeah. ground. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say you're like in the bottom 10. Yeah. 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 It seemed like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I might even place a little higher than there. I, I might be able to name nine episodes at least that are worse than this one. <laughs> uh, Portrait for Troy. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, the Americanization of Machiko. Oh yeah. Uh, Hurricane. Oh, I actually kind of like Hurricane. Really? Yeah. Okay. See, to me, Hurricane falls into that, like, they're like, like, just, like, mediocre episodes that do nothing. To me, that's what Hurricane is. Hurricane is a stock footage palooza. Sure. They shot five minutes of actual footage for Hurricane. <laughs> the rest is just old <laughs> shit blowing in the wind. With a Scott Bakula voiceover. <laughs> yes. And three minutes is, is the ex-girlfriend breaking down at the end of the episode. And one minute is him and the new girlfriend making out. Okay. Well, don't forget the party that he tries to break up, dude. And that's could the you other imagine? Thing. Could you imagine reviewing Hurricane in our COVID world about a guy having to break up a party that shouldn't be happening? Ah, oh, the parallels. Oh God! If, if there is ever a Quantum Leap series that comes later, I mean, they gotta. Oh, pardon the bad pun. Pardon. They they got to touch on COVID. I got to tell you this right now, Dennis, and I mean this. Like, 
he he could spend a lot of fucking time in 2020 alone, much less any of the past, you know, 25 years that they never got the chance to explore on the yeah. show. I, I've seen more than one tweet or meme that says something to the effect of, I really resent living in a time that future historians will specialize in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, maybe we should say on that note, if we haven't telegraphed it, so at the end, Sam does find out that he is very likely, indeed, a vampire. A vampire. He has no reflection when he, when he, when he looks in the little platter. He whispers to Al. He leaps, and he's on the hood of a car in some weird flash-like superhero getup. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, it's funny because I, I, I literally, as I'm going back and thinking about this episode, I do actually remember kind of being okay with it. I don't know. I'm sure I'll watch it and, and, and probably not feel the same way at all. But sure. As of right now, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe we should, we should allow for the time that we are in right now. And it, it, it's hard to have right. <laughs> sympathy or grace for a lot of for a lot of extra stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I was thinking like if I was like to show someone who had never seen quantum leap before and I'm like, here, let me, let me show you like, like the, the broad range the series had. Here's color of truth. Yeah. Here's blood moon. I mean, that's about as a, uh, yeah, that's about the opposite end of the spectrum as you could possibly get. It, what's interesting, too, is that in both instances, I feel like there are a couple of episodes better than The Color of Truth. And there, oh, sure. And there, yeah. are, there are some episodes that are worse than Blood Moon. But they both represent, like, Color of Truth represents the best of the best, whereas Blood Moon would, would represent the opposite end of that. Yeah. I mean, Color of Truth is not a perfect episode, especially looking back through a 2020 lens. But, like, as far as, like, the scope of what they were trying to do. Sure. With the series versus Blood Moon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, 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 no, I'm with you 100% on that one. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that the show could explore so much in, in those terms because you do have, you know, you do have these complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, uh, uh, and, and, and I think for the most part, that is a positive thing. And I think that there have been a number of comedic episodes or episodes with moments of levity or bumbling Sam even that work really well for me. Uh, I just happen to think that this episode and Dr. Ruth are not two of those episodes. They are not. Although I would buy a copy of How to Spot a Vampire <laughs> by Dr. Laszlo Fang. Fair. Fair. On that note, maybe we should wrap it up. Get ready for uh, I for think next so. time. Next time, yeah. Next time we'll be talking about the return of the evil Leaper. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Return and Revenge, uh, actually. I think it'll be fun uh, to dive into those episodes just because, you know, they are they are a rarity in, in Quantum Leap in so much as, you know, the last... Uh, we, we, we Sure, we had Trilogy, which is, you know, a nice three-parter, Um but it, it followed one self-contained story was focused on this town, uh, whereas the Evil Leaper stories, you know, really kind of 
veer us into sort of this myth arc territory that a lot of shows didn't have at that time. You know, we're still pre-Buffy, we're still pre-X-Files when that shit got dialed up to 11, you know, and then, yeah. and then of course, you had the glut of shows like Lost and everything that, that's come since. So I, I think that uh, other than maybe a show like Star Trek The Next Generation, which had their, like, their Borg arc, you know, basically, or their Q arc or whatever, and then, of course, Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5, which would be built around arcs, I don't know. I'm interested in kind of exploring that element of the episodes in the context of Quantum Leap. Sure. Yeah, I may not enjoy those episodes as much, but just like discussing the mythology, like you said, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to uh, to that. Might be worth going to pick up my copy of Knights of the Morning Star. Right. That was the uh, that was the uh, Evil Deeper novel that takes place in between. Yeah. Deliver us and and revenge, and so uh, it's been years since I've read it. But the author somehow does a, a decent job of somehow fitting an encounter between Sam and Aaliyah in between the two televised leaps, and it's somehow like it, it, it works. It doesn't disturb continuity too much. Yeah. Uh, but if I don't, if not a chance to like reading the entire novel, but go back and, and read a synopsis. But uh, how about that for homework? Listeners, viewers, yeah. Uh, prepare for *Revenge of the Evil Leaper*. Pick up a copy of uh, *Knights of the Morning Star*, and we'll be back with you hopefully sooner rather than later. That's right. We're gonna finish this thing. We got we got seven before episodes other, to go, man. Be- before the other Quantum Leap podcast, and we need to do it before Halloween. That's right. All right. On that note, thank you for sticking around this long, and uh, and we'll see you next week next episode next download for uh for revenge of the evil leaper return she's got to return before revenge she's got to return and they got to revenge return then revenge all All right right. take care y'all take care everybody Bye. bye bye I traveled in space and time